We've uh, been talking the last uh, four weeks about the Sermon on the Mount and how the teachings of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount can turn our world upside down. And we started with the Beatitudes. If you remember uh, back in the first week of January, if you were hearing a part of that, if you weren't, feel free to go on our website and uh, jump back and, and watch all of those. Um, they're all on YouTube as well. So, um, but we started with the Beatitudes. Um, and we have worked all the way through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and today we're going to look at chapter 7. And what Jesus established and was establishing through that sermon uh, is the kingdom community, the culture, really the culture of the church, that the church is supposed to be, um, as he taught through all of those things. And the Sermon on the Mount is known as the greatest sermon to ever be preached. And uh, it very much is that. If you've ever read through it, and now that we've kind of broken it down over the last four to five weeks, uh, I hope that you've seen that because the things that he brings up and the stuff that he goes through, he leaves virtually no no stone unturned as he goes through it and challenges all of us and the standard that he sets for the kingdom culture of, uh, of God is just an incredible thing to look at that, that hits every single one of us, no matter what your starting place is, no matter where you're coming from, whether you've been a believer your whole life or whether you've just found the Lord recently, or maybe you still haven't and you're still trying to figure all this out. That's okay. This is for you. Jesus is, is for anyone and everyone, and that's one of the main things that he was getting to. If you remember, one of the, uh, one of the ways that we kind of looked at the Sermon on the Mount in, in the beginning, in the Beatitudes, is how he talked about blessed are these people, blessed are those people, and how we look at those character qualities, blessed are the meek, and, and, and all of those all the way around, that, that those are not necessarily things that we should strive for as much as they are th- types of people that exist, okay? And, and the types of people that are there, that there are people wired this way. Now, there are definitely some character traits in there and some principles that we can learn from there. Um, but not all of us are, uh, are blessed in the way that, that he was talking through as he went through all those. Blessed are the peacemakers. Not all of us are peacemakers. Um, but some of us are just wired that way. And, and what God was, was saying through the words of Jesus in this time was that blessed are those who don't think that they're blessed because the kingdom of God has come for everyone and is for everyone. And we, as the community, as the kingdom community of Jesus, as the church, we have to continue that culture. We have to continue the culture that Jesus was telling us exactly how to do that as he went through all of these. And as we wrap up the Sermon on the Mount today, Jesus really kind of wraps it all up in a neat little bow um, as he really closes out the sermon. And, and with this being, as, as it certainly is, the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, you'll, you've probably noticed, if you've been here for all of these, if you haven't, you're going to see it again today, the pattern that, that Jesus uses, which is he will build one thing on top of another thing on top of another thing, and he keeps kind of taking it a notch up every single time. And today he does that as well as he uh, wraps it all together. So I want to get right into it. We're in Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, uh, Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to be going through uh, virtually the entire chapter uh, today. And you can follow along if you're on the Bible app or you're watching online. Uh, You can jump on the Bible app, go to events, look up Connect Church in Akron, Ohio, and you can follow along. And so I want to get right into Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus gets right to it. And he says this, do not judge, 
so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and look, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So I'm sure a lot of us have, have heard this passage and, and maybe even used this passage in talking with other people um, because Jesus' call for righteousness that he hits throughout the sermon. Remember, uh, I, I don't know if it was last week or the week before where he talked about how the scribes and the Pharisees, the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees wasn't even enough. And you know, it's funny how our brains work um, because we go to a place of being judgmental so quickly. Whether we want to or not, but we do. Um, we, we are so judgmental of others, and it's really easy for us to slip into that. Um, and, and Jesus stops that kind of thinking right away. He's, he's, he's calling it out right from the beginning. He's, stop, stop doing that. And, and a lot of us, we, we play the compare game. And I've said it many times, I'll say it again, when you compare, you lose, you do. Every time, when you compare, you lose, but we all compare, don't we? We do it. And, and instead, what we need to do is shift our mentality. And, and this isn't anything new necessarily, what I'm gonna, you know, the next slide that's coming up, it's just kind of the way that I'm gonna frame it because we've heard this many, many times. But it goes, uh, it, I think it goes a long way in repeating is that we need to actually have what I'm gonna call a replacement mentality, a replacement mentality. And here's what I mean by that. Put yourself in the other person's place. Put yourself in their place. We, I know, we've heard this before, but, but remember something. When you're looking at someone, when you're judging someone, whether it's you know, on social media or in person or you pass them in the grocery store or whatever that might be, remember, um, Jesus died for them too. He died for them too. Whether you would actually die, from, die for them is a different question. But Jesus died for them too. He died for, for everyone. And you know what? Go on a missions trip. You really want to have this figured out and, and, and really open your eyes to that? Go on a missions trip. This is one of the reasons I'm so pro-missions trip, and quite frankly, if it hadn't been for COVID, we would have one on the books right now for this year. The plan was to actually have an adult mission trip this year um, for our church to be a part of. And as soon as we are able, you better believe that that's something that, that we're going to be working toward without a doubt. But go on a mission trip. And whether it's you know, overseas to another country or just being a part of a, of a mission Akron, the next time we do one of those, it will open your eyes to some things. Because when you serve people, you're never more like Jesus than when you're serving. And when you serve people and when you serve others and you see where others are coming from and you see what God is doing in their life or can do in their life and what he does through you in their life, this replacement mentality that Jesus is talking about starts to make a lot of sense. You know, if someone that you are judging is looking to find Jesus, if they're looking to find Jesus, do you want to be the reason that they don't find him? Or do you want to be maybe the vehicle that God uses so that they do. I wanna be the vehicle that God uses so that they do. I don't know about you, but Jesus had this mentality, by the way, because he, he replaced you and he replaced me. 
Because his work on the cross, you and I rightfully should, should be there, should have been there. And Jesus took your spot and he took mine. Remember, he is not willing that any should perish. Any means any, like everyone means everyone. Any means any. But we mess this up though when we think the worst of others and, and when we only talk about their faults and we all do it, we all fall into that category. But when we judge an entire person, hear me on this, when we judge an entire person based on their worst moments, boy, I don't want anybody to judge me that way. Because if it happens though. But if we're gonna judge, let's be fair. Let's be fair and, and let's judge others by the same standard that we would like to be judged by. That's a lot of what Jesus is, is saying here. And so let's help our brother or sister out yeah, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's tough. But let's help people out with the speck maybe that, that, that's in their eye, but not, not before dealing with the plank that might be in yours. It's a hard thing to do. But Jesus then moves to prayer again. You may be wondering why, and I'm going to get to that here in a second. Um, but he moves to prayer and he moves to the giving nature of God. So we'll continue here in verse 7. It says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or what person is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? So if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How much more does Jesus love us than we could possibly love others or even our own children? That's hard to fathom maybe sometimes, but it's the truth. How much more does he love us? See, we see this progression that Jesus goes through here, this ask, seek, knock progression in the different aspects of prayer. And God promises to answer those who diligently seek him. He promises to answer those who diligently seek him, but, but it's not always in the way that we think it should be. And that's what the struggle can be sometimes. You know, there is, I, I love this statement that there is value in the volume of prayer. Think about that. There's value in the volume of prayer, but how often do we ask Jesus to care more about something than, than we do. And here's what I mean. If, if there's something that you're praying for and you're like, boy, it, it sure just doesn't seem like God's answering my prayer, but you've only maybe prayed for it once or twice real quick in between meals, and you're expecting God to put more value on that than maybe you are, you're asking God to care about something more than, more than you do. And we wonder why he doesn't answer our prayers. So why would Jesus move from judging others to prayer? Well, this is why, because it has to do with the heart. It has to do with the heart. See, this is inside versus outside again. Inside versus outside. Are we truly seeking the will of God if our heart is in a place of judgment and contempt? What is really going to come out of our mouth? What kind of prayer is that person actually going to have to come to God if we're just coming at life from a place of judgment and contempt. And so we see the giving nature 
of God here, which, which relates back to, to what has been said here. Because how much does God love us? Do we forget? Do we forget how much God loves us? I think we do. I think we do. Oftentimes, we forget how much God loves us. He loves us where we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay there. And God wants what's best for us regardless. And as a parent, we do what's best for our kids. And I know they don't always like what we do, but if, if we're, as, as Jesus was even talking about here, if, if, if we really love our kids, you know what? I'm willing to be the villain occasionally to do the right thing for my kids. And, and I'm not so much caring about whether they like me in that moment as much as I love them too much to not do the right thing for them. And God does the same thing. God does the same thing on a level that we can't even fathom sometimes because his ways are higher than ours. And so he, he brings this then together here in verse 12. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Now again, we've heard this before. We, we've, we've heard this, this verse, and we've heard people quote this who maybe aren't even close to being a Christian um, because this is the individual application point as, as Jesus talks here. Everything in the previous two chapters starts leading to this, as you see. You look back in, in Matthew 5 and Matthew 6 and all of Matthew 7, it, it all builds and builds and builds and builds and leads to this. And this is one of the things when Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. This is one of those things that he talks about. And this makes the law actually easier to understand, but it doesn't make it any easier to obey. This is tough to obey. As, as I've said many times, you know, that it's being, being a, a Christian and being a non-hypocritical Christian is the hardest thing that you will ever do. It's, it's a tough thing to do. The standard that Jesus sets in the Sermon on the Mount, as he said, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Good luck. He sets a standard that is, that is impossible to meet, which is why we need Jesus, because we're never gonna reach that standard. It's why we need him, because no one has ever consistently done this. <laughs> no one has ever consistently done unto others as they would like to have done unto themselves. If you have, let me know. And we know, we know what this is called, right? It's called the golden rule. We've heard that before, the golden rule, and people like to do unto others as you'd like to have them do unto you. And why is it called that? Well, I, I actually didn't look up why it was called that because within light of eternity and what Jesus is saying here, I, I think that probably the reason that we call it this is because a community that can make this happen is priceless. If you can make this happen in your life, that's priceless. If we can make this happen as a church, oh my goodness, that's priceless. And I love what Charles Spurgeon said as he was actually talking about this as I was reading. The man was just an incredible theologian. And it's not on the screen, so I'm just going to read it to you. It says this. Spurgeon wrote this about this verse. Oh, that all men acted on it. And listen to this, there would be no slavery, no war, no swearing, no striking, no lying, no robbing, but all would be justice and love. What a kingdom is this which has such a law? No kidding. Absolutely. And then Jesus continues. And again, he takes it to the next level. 
in verse 13. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is narrow and the way is constricted that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So this is, uh, Jesus is talking about the narrow gate here, and I, and I taught on the narrow gate back on November 29th. If you want to deep dive into that, uh, you can go back and, uh, and watch that or listen to that message uh, on the 29th of November. Um, but I'm not going to skip over it just because I preached on it two months ago. It's, it, it, it really is everything that has to do with where Jesus is going. We, we have to look at it. So I'm going to give you kind of the, the highlights through it that relate to where we're going with this in context with all of it. But Jesus didn't talk about the, the narrow gate as our end game. That's not the end game. In fact, um, it's the entrance to the path is really what he's talking about because the right way and the wrong way, Jesus uh, definitely appealed to the listeners to decide to go the more difficult way. The more difficult way is the way in which we should go. The more difficult way is the way that leads to life. And again, it's that inside versus outside and, and that surface level versus what lies beneath, as we talked about the, uh, uh, with the iceberg last week. Um, if you missed that, definitely go back and, and listen to that. But, but he taught, Jesus taught that not all the ways um, and all the destinations are equally good. I know we hear that a lot now, that all, all the ways are equal. No, no, they're not. Jesus was very clear on that. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other way to look at that. And if that is offensive, then, that's, then you're offended by Jesus, not by me. There is one way, and it is his way. And as I've said before, that's exclusively inclusive. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. This is not the easy path. The true gate the narrow way, it is difficult. And that narrow way, he has talked about all of those things up until this point that establish the narrow way because it's a difficult thing to do. And the road and the gate, it, if, if the road that you're on and maybe the gate that you're walking through metaphorically in your life right now is, feels like the easy road, especially when it comes to spiritually, I, I, think, I, would, I think I would do well to like keep your head up, honestly, because it's, it's not supposed to be easy. There are moments for sure, and there are seasons that we go through that are more difficult than others and all of that, absolutely. But this isn't, e this isn't an easy thing to do. And I love that Jesus makes no bones about that, and he's very clear. And then he goes to verse 15, and he keeps going. He says, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. And so Jesus warns about the path of destruction here. And, and, how, and he warns about those that might lead us there. And this is always a, a sobering thing for me to read as a, as a leader and as a, as a teacher um, to, to really keep my head up and, and as far as where, where I am as a leader. Um, but I want you to notice the, the way in which Jesus talks about this is to notice the fruit 
what is produced in the lives of those that, that we are looking to? What, what kind of fruit is that? How do they live? What is the content of their teaching? Is it man-centered? Is it, is it just appealing to what people want to hear, or is it what people need to hear? Is it the true word of God, or is it just uh, taking the, the highlights and, and just saying what are, uh, you know, tickle people's ears, as is like to say? Or are people willing to say the difficult things and willing to say the tough things? Um, you know, the effect of someone's teaching, the effect of their teaching, when we're looking at, at, the, at who, is being, who is teaching and what we are learning from them, are people growing or are they just being entertained? There's a difference. There's a difference. Are people growing or are people just being entertained? Is it just about what entertains me or is it about what can help me grow in my relationship with the Lord? Our fruit is the inevitable result of who we are. And so this principle applies to all of us, not just to those that are teaching. Yes, there is definitely, a, a, I guess, a stronger weight on me, for sure, and on those that, that are teaching, but this principle applies to all of us. Our fruit is the inevitable result of who we are. What is produced in our lives is the inevitable result of who we are. The good and the bad fruit become clear eventually. Maybe not right at first. You can see a nice-looking tree from far off, and then you walk up and, and you know, pick the fruit off of it and realize it's garbage. Then you realize that tree is garbage. Maybe you have to get a little bit closer to see. But inevitably, it becomes clear. The kind of tree that you and I are will be eventually revealed. And so are the products of my life for his glory or for my own? That's a daily question that we all need to ask ourselves. Are the products of my life for his glory, or are they for my own? All of what Jesus has talked about before, the culture of the kingdom community of God, it is perfectly tied in to this idea. It's perfectly tied into this idea. And then he goes on, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. See, he doesn't say some. He says many. That's, that's a hard thing to read and to even say. He doesn't say some. He says many will say to me on this day. This is a warning to those who say things to Jesus or about Jesus, and we don't really mean it. Remember how he's talked about in the past, and I talked about this a few minutes ago, about the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees and how even that, even their righteousness isn't good enough. Be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. It's, it's an impossible standard. But it has much more to do with who we are than it does with what we do. Because what Jesus is getting to, here's your math equation for the day, who you are is greater than what you do. Who you are is greater than what you do. And, and here's what I mean by that. We don't do our duty to God and then do whatever we want. When we do that, 
it just becomes religion and all the bad parts of religion that just talk about, you know, that, that are really just binding you back. That it's, it, it's not who you, what you do makes you who you are. It's the other way around. It's for sure the other way around. It's, it's not the kingdom community of God if it's the other way around. Because following Jesus, it's not a punch list. It's not a punch list of, I just do this, 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 and this. And no, it's not that. It has so much more to do with who you are than it does with what you do. And when who you are lines up with what Jesus says, it spills out into what you do and how you do it. So it's not that what you do is bad, not by any stretch. It's not that what we do is bad, but what, what is below the surface that spills out into what we do is gonna be clearly seen eventually. Who you are will spill out into what you do and how you do it for good or for bad. And then, and then he draws everything together and he ends with just such a perfect illustration that our actions with these options determine our outcome in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man. When he says these words of mine, he's talking about chapters five and six and seven up to this point. He's talking about everything that he said. Remember, we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount in five weeks. Jesus laid out all this at one time. And so he's saying, everyone who hears these words of mine, all these words of mine, and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall. For it had been founded on the rock, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and its collapse was great. See, hearing Jesus' words isn't enough. Just hearing Jesus' words isn't enough. We, we can sit and listen all day long, and some of us do. We sit and listen all day long, but hearing alone doesn't give you the firm foundation that Jesus is talking about. It, it can't stop with hearing. That's why James said that we should be doers of the word and not hearers only. If we don't, then we commit the sin that will definitely find us out. And that is the sin of doing nothing. And your collapse will be great. I, for one, do not want to be guilty of the sin of doing nothing. And this next phase for Connect Church, it is, it is so essential and it is so crucial to where we're going in the vision that God has given us and in, in the ministry that he has for us as we move forward to connecting our community to him. And we don't want to be guilty of doing nothing. The end of the chapter, this isn't on the screen, but in verse 28 and 29, it says, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowd were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching, he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. See, even the crowd realized that what they had just heard was life-changing and was, and was amazing and, and took everything up a whole new level, recreated 
what the kingdom culture of God was supposed to be. And his action step for all of this sermon, it really goes back to verse 12, his action step. Goes back to verse 12, which is that golden rule that in, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way that you want them to treat you. But, but this is framed in the culture of the kingdom of God, not, look at me, not in our own personal preferences. It's framed in the culture of the kingdom of God, and that is where we mess this up. That is where we mess this up. And so that's why my connection point for today, for the series, and for all that Jesus was getting to with all of this is this. Jesus, through you, will turn our world upside down. Jesus, through you, through the church, will turn our world upside down, but it starts individually. It starts individually. It starts with us. This is one short way to say what what really his entire sermon was pushing toward, is that blessed are you, and I want to use you to turn our world upside down, but it's got to start with you. It's got to start with you and me individually, that you are blessed, and so live for him, and the world will be blessed through you, regardless of where you started, regardless of where you're coming to Jesus from, whether, as I've said earlier, whether you've been a follower of him your entire life, or whether you've just now come to Jesus, that God wants to use you to bless this world, and to live for him, and to be the light, and to live for him, to seek him first, to seek him first, and, and it will turn our world upside down, and that will turn our world upside down. I know we're going to close with a worship song here in just a minute. Um, and as we do, I hope that you will take this time, that you will take these moments now as we're bringing all this together and really search, search your heart and search the Lord for what he really has for you. As, as we're moving forward, because the impact of the kingdom of God, it happens one person at a time. It happens one person at a time, and that breeds exponential growth. But we have to position ourselves to reach that one person that God has maybe put into your circles or put into your path. And if we do that, this place will be packed. This place will be packed. But you know what? It's not about filling seats. It's about filling streets of gold. It's about filling heaven. It's not about filling a building. It's about filling the kingdom of heaven. That's what it's really all about. That's what this is all about. That's what Jesus was really getting to. God has called us to do more. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? It starts with you and me individually. If we truly believe that, it starts with us. And as we move into this next phase of Connect Church that, as I've said, is going to be so crucial, I want to call us all to a place of surrender, to be praying and thinking about what that looks like. We're going to be talking much more about that in the coming weeks. But I want you to surrender now to make him the firm foundation because God's grace through you will turn our world upside down. Will you stand with me? And as you do, I want, I want to pray because we're going to go into a moment of worship and we're going to lift our voices as we surrender to him. But God wants to use you through you, through me. He wants to do amazing things. 
in this world, and he wants to use his chosen vehicle, the church, to do it. We are the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell shall not prevail. But it begins with us establishing the kingdom culture of God. Father, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you for your words, and I thank you for, um, God, just the truth of the Sermon on the Mount. Father, the power that is in that that sermon, Lord, that, that challenges each one of us, regardless of where we are, regardless of where we're starting from, regardless of, of, of what we, we bring to the table, God. You have fashioned us and created us in such an amazing way, Lord, and you choose to use your church, your chosen vehicle, the church, to reach this world. And God, you call each and every one of us your masterpiece. We are your masterpiece. And Lord, what an amazing thing that is. And so, Father, I pray now that we can surrender to whatever you want to do with our lives. And Lord, for us to surrender to the fact that you want to use us to turn this world upside down. And, and Lord, I hope that we are ready for that. We know that we're not enough, but Father, we know that through you, you are more than enough. And so, God, we, we give it all to you. We worship you. We praise you, Lord, as we lay down our lives for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.